Hey, this is Alex Terranova, and this is the Dream Mason Podcast. We've been taught to behave, to fit in, to follow the rules, but Dream Masons reject conventional thought. Dream Masons are rebels. They take a chisel to the marble that is typical traditional life. They carve out brilliance and broadcast it to the world. Join me for another chapter as we unmask convention, embrace the rebels within us, and more deeply come to explore the complex and agitated edges of our existence. Now, before we get started, please don't be a rebel yet and grab your phone and hit that little button that says subscribe. Thank you. Because your dreams don't build themselves. What's up and welcome back to the Dream Mason podcast. I am your host, Alex Terranova. What do, what do I want to touch on today is really, uh, you know, it's, it's pretty funny how these podcast episodes somehow intertwine with what's going on in the world. I don't, when, when me and my team are booking these things, we're not like, oh, there's a thing going on and we should find someone who fits that. It happens sometimes, like on purpose. Uh, but usually it, we find people that we find that are interesting or up to something different or are creating something or just have a different thought perspective that we're like, we got to talk to these people because we want to know and understand them. Or we think that you as listeners will enjoy the conversation, learn something, take something away and be able to use the information. And it's today's one of those times where there's stuff going on that totally links to who our guest is and not directly, but somebody who can talk about it from a different perspective than maybe I can or most of us can. So if you are, from, if you're in California, you're probably familiar that there's a ton of fires going on. I'm, I'm recording this episode in late August and there are a ton of fires going on and people are saying it's like the most amount of acres that have burned ever in California or up there. There are people on all sorts of sides of the issue about why there are fires, whether the fires are good or bad, how you can prevent them, all these things. I do not know. I know that I don't know enough to even have an opinion. I know that it sucks if you lose your home or your things because of fire. And I know that it sucks to be in an area when there's a lot of fire because of you know smoke and whatnot. But from a perspective on the planet, I am not an expert and I don't want to pretend to be. Uh, so Coincidentally, we actually have someone as a guest today who is someone whose focus and attention is on the planet. They, you know, they said something to me when we were talking before we started recording, which just like kind of lit up. I think sometimes people say things and it like lights up all those places in your brain and you're like, oh, I never thought about something like that. And the thing they said to me was, we're not here to leave no footprint but we're here to leave a graceful footprint. And I think that really sums up a, a way to look at who we are as a species and who we are as people and as cultures and as communities and countries and states and, and whatnot. Uh, and I'm really interested to learn more from this person about how they view our relationship to the environment and our relationship to the earth. Our guest today is the host of Green Planet, Blue Planet, which is a podcast that Entrepreneur Magazine said would be a top 20 podcast to grow this year. Uh, he's done over 220 interviews with regenerative change makers globally. I've probably done about 200 interviews overall. It's a lot of interviews. <laughs> and so to really focus 220 on a, on a very specific topic, 
I would have to say, you know, that, that qualifies somebody as an expert in my book um, on any topic. If you've talked to that many people on a subject range, he is also um, a planet. He does planetary leadership and training. He is part of an organization called Plant, uh, sorry, Planet Positive. He spent time in Canada, Germany, uh, the United States. And one of the things he shared with me that I think is interesting is he's really interested in showcasing leaders that are focused on their regenerative movement. My guest today is Julian Guderle. Julian, did I pronounce your last name right? You did it, man. Awesome. Hi, Alex. This is, this is exciting. Glad to be on the show with you. Yeah, thanks for being here. Um, it's uh, like I said, it's kind of perfect timing because especially from my perspective, and I think a lot of people's like a lot of people have opinions about things like fires and whatnot. Um, and, and even before we jump into that, and I get to hear, you know, we get to hear what you think and your thoughts, because I think they're going to be a lot deeper than just like good, bad. Um, I'd love to like, just cut you to explain like, what is the regenerative, regenerative movement? And what do you really, how do you really see your, yourself as a, as a partner in, you know, the relationship between humans and the earth or the mm. planet? That's a great question. Yeah. So the regenerative movement, I think, you know, in my own words is, is like an evolution out of um, the, the frustration a lot of people had about the buzzwords like natural or sustainable. Um, because the question that, you know, arises is like, what are we even trying to sustain the way we've been dealing with our economy, with each other, with our, our social structures, with our systems, with the planet the last hundred years or since the industrial revolution. Like if we, you know, look at that both critically, but also with a, you know, a, a positive attitude going forward, I think we've been a very exploitative and very destructive species. And it's the time to come to terms with this, to acknowledge this, to um, reconcile the pains we've, we've all created, no matter which nation we're from, no matter which culture we're from, the, the pains we've received and pains we've created and to find a way to understand maybe the human journey a little bit deeper in, in liaison and, in, in, you know, in, in union with the earth. And I think that's, that's kind of the gist of the regenerative movement is like the earth itself, nature itself has a regenerative cycle, right? Like no one, no president, no leader makes the sun go up or down or the moon rise. Like we're literally spinning around the sun in total blackness that spins around a black hole. And so when we start observing nature and the rhythms of nature and start building from biomimicry, we're able to regenerate just the same way all other parts of nature do. And so in that sense, regenerative movement also includes humans being one with nature. Can you touch on that really quick? You know, I think you, you said it really eloquently with me before we started recording about how humans are one with nature. And it makes perfect sense from where I sit. Like it was, there's nothing radical about what you said, but I don't think it's a conversation that mm. we have very often. Like it almost occurs occurs like there's humans and there's nature and we're separate like it's almost the way we're we're culturalized and i can't speak to the whole world being like that but i want to say in the united states it often feels like that yeah i mean i grew up in a western society too i grew up in germany i live in canada for a few years i've lived all across the world though like in, including south america and traveled widely to over 50 countries so i you know i i do see that some cultural backgrounds have a little less of that american dream kool-aid um, in them I think, honestly, there's, there's a few ways to go to that topic of how are we one and how is that not just an esoteric kind of concept. I think number one that comes to mind for me is 
when we look at you know both our indigenous brothers and sisters and their way of seeing the world and indigenous cultures across the planet from Australia to you know the Guarani in South America or um, all the different tribes across North America there is an understanding and acknowledgement and a consciousness of one with and funnily enough on the other side of that extreme um, I want to say in quotation marks here the apex of western society um, and I recently had the pleasure of interviewing one of those people um, you know who spent 170 plus days in space with NASA on the International Space Station. So the apex of our society, you know, the people that you went through all the military training, went through all the astronauts training, who then went to outer space to look back on the planet Earth. They come out with the exact same consciousness, with the exact same awareness of like, wow, we're all on this blue marble together floating through blackness. And literally, we're all one because from outside of this Earth, it looks like it's one blue dot, you know? And so that consciousness doesn't change for an astronaut when they come back to Earth. And there's, there's um, not a lot of astronauts, I guess, so far, but like over, a, a, you know, over 100. And, and they all report with the same experience, no matter which country they come from. And so I think those two kind of extremes, like the indigenous native population of the Earth and then like the astronaut kind of um, enclave of people, they share it from very different perspectives. We're one with nature. Another way to look at it is pretty simplistic. Like, look at our, our human bodies, right? Like, the body we're carrying, the body we're living in, that is 80% water roundabout, just like our planet is 80% water, is genetically connected in like 95% and more with almost every living being on the planet. And when people die, when we pass, you know, we could talk about soul in another context, but the body itself stays behind and turns back into soil, into mushrooms, into decay, into, you know, uh, food for, for the next tree or, or wherever we, we're buried. And so we're one with the planet as we're leaving the body. So while the body is alive, it's equally one with the planet. It's equally part of the substance that, that makes up this planet. And so... Um, I hope that wasn't too esoteric or spiritual, um, but, but I, that's, that's one or two of the ways how I like to enter that topic. Yeah, no, I, I don't think it was. I, I love the idea that, you know, we're, we go back where we came from. Like there's something that's somewhat like peaceful and even, you know, outside, again, outside of the soul conversation, you know, God and, and all of that, just simply from a nature perspective, like the, the physical body, I don't know if you've seen, and I know that there's places that they do it, and it's something I talk about this a lot with my mom actually. That that burial process where they like use the body to like plant a tree, mm -hmm. yeah, and it's something that they don't do. I don't know that they don't do it in the United States. I know they don't do it in California yet, mm -hmm. um, but I remember seeing that a few years ago, and both me and my and my mom saw it, and we had this whole conversation about like how beautiful of a process that could be that if that was your choice right you don't have to be buried in the wall or the ground or cremated you could actually choose to be essentially the nutrients for the planet like a way to actually give yourself back um do you know have you have you do you know anything about that process i, I don't know too much about it but i know it exists i know this is one of the you know um <laughs> call it full cycle kind of perspectives on yeah. how it can be buried i think it's very beautiful too um, yeah, you know, what's emerging for me in this unique moment is that 
having reverence and awe for life doesn't need to mean we're trying to create the ego as immortal. It can, it can mean we're understanding our role within the big puzzle and the big cycle of life. Um, and so that's kind of also what I meant with what, what you quoted me with in the introduction. Like we are not here to leave no footprint. We're here to leave a graceful footprint. We're here to understand the role of ourselves as individuals to unfold our purpose into society. And we're here to understand our role and purpose as humanity, as a keystone species of planet Earth. That is very important because we can either tip off the balance, which is kind of like the experience we're having right now, or we can live in like a harmony that um, will maybe feel a little less crazy, but um, a lot more sane and and um and in sync with nature i want to i want to return kind of to where i started and just get your perspective you know on things like i'm we're going to use fires because that's what's going on while we're having this conversation Mm. um but there's plenty of let's say net call them natural disasters or, or problems that humans face in relationship to the environment or the world um what I notice when I look at like, or when I see the fires, you know, I kind of see them as like, Hey, this is unfortunate. This is causing a lot of pain for a lot of people and even animals, right. That are losing their homes and and forced out of wherever they are. And I understand that part of fire is natural. Like if humans didn't exist, there would still be fires and they would rage until they naturally went out. And it's part of the regenerative process of soil. Now, when humans, fall inside of the pathway of that fire, we suddenly go, this is bad. We need to put it out. And we often are the cause of many of it or or much of it. But what I find is that I hear so much debate and it's often from like a political landscape about should we be like, you know, controlling the, the forest or the environment, cutting things down, burning things on, on our terms. So fires don't rage as they do or should we not and let the natural process take place? And it's like very decisive when people get into this. I, again, I don't feel like I have an answer. I don't know enough to be somebody to get into a battle about this, but I'm curious about your perspective. Mm -hmm. Not only what are we doing, but like, how can we, you know, maybe a new perspective to look at situations like this? Yeah, it is a very tricky situation. And I want to first acknowledge like any suffering or pain that, you know, fires or um this this situation is causing to people it's 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 always real right and we can't just talk it away with with smart words so i think that's that's number one but but then also i'm not necessarily a fire expert i think what i came to learn and understand is just the way we make choices as humans and the way we um kind of stick with modus operandi based on power and based on control. And, and that doesn't often, you know, allow us to be in, in alignment with what's r- truly regenerative. I think most people might've heard of this so far or, or at this point, you know, there, there's something called cultural burning, which is a, a practice indigenous people have done all around the world. If we scan Australia, South America, North America, I'm sure they've done it in Africa as well, which is basically a way to purposefully burn um, both to, um, have a control over fires um, but also to interact with the soil directly to help regenerate food systems um, mushroom cultivations etc and so these cultural or purposeful burns are usually done 
in a smaller, more controllable way so that the big fires don't actually happen. Because what happens is in our more political landscape, it's like fires are bad, they're dangerous, so let's prevent all fires. And so we can prevent a whole lot of fires in the way we're currently doing it, but then we can prevent the really massive and really big ones. And they're becoming more and more and more and more devastating, right? And so um, I'm happy to share, there's a, there's a cool article um, on it that I pulled up, you know, when you're in the beginning of this conversation. Um, it's on grist.org. Maybe you can link this out for people to dig in deeper. But basically, I think it's, it's again, it's our decision-making process, Alex. We, we, we label things as good or bad, which is very plain. And then it doesn't allow us to actually look at the bigger cycle, right? And so, yes, fires can be extremely dangerous and extremely hazardous. But if we're trying to control them all, which is how we've been operating, the big ones will still happen. And especially with the logging practices we have, especially with the way we build, especially with the way we build like concrete, um, you know, urban uh, deserts. I call them concrete deserts. You know, no food grows in, in a city um, unless there's like a, a conscious and active kind of engagement of creating edible landscapes. And so, yeah, this is, this is how we're co-creating those fires. And across, you know, Australia and Canada, it's already a bit more practice now to at least in the spring and fall to do cultural burns again. Um, but in general, I think it's just our really practiced and almost like conditioned mind that um, it's like, oh, fire, bad, let's prevent it. Now, again, I'm not a fire expert, but I've talked with enough people to understand that they're it's one of those really dire topics that is going to show up, especially in California, especially in Australia on a planetary scale that we need to find new ways to connect over. So, you know, we're not um, endangering people every year in, in massive amounts, but maybe having much more, um, a much more regenerative access to how we treat the land and how we, um, yeah, maybe even reintroduce cultural burns more and more. Yeah, thanks. I love the that you brought in the the binary nature of the labeling good or bad. That comes up a lot on this podcast from so yeah. many different leaders and and whatnot. And thanks for you sent that me that link. I'll totally share it in the in the show notes and take a look at it myself. Um, but yeah, it's it's. I love that you pointed to that we get in this good or bad fire good fire like fire good fire bad. And then it's just limited, right? Like if we have to pick so between much, two yeah. options, any two options, we're always going to be limited. And it's, it, it, it prevents us from creating anything new or different or seeing other perspectives. And I think one of the things that westernized culture has done, there's so many wonderful things about westernized culture. And I think one of the things that people often hear when they, when we critique it is they go like all the way to like, Oh no, you're critiquing it. It's so bad. Totally. Be super clear. There's so many wonderful innovations and, and, and things that westernized culture has done that nobody else ever did before. And, and there's, there's also consequences of everything good and, and right. And everything positive and everything that amazing that we've done. One of the things that Westernized culture has also done is it's ignored previous cultures or it's ignored indigenous cultures and almost from like a, we know better standpoint, um, not look to where. Not almost like a hundred percent, right? Like this is the yeah. modus operandi of, of how sure. we're proceeding there is like, um, if, if I may, like I'll, I'll jump in, yeah. you know, it's like, Please. I'm totally with you. There's so much that's beautiful about our modern society and 
if it was for me and my wish for the world, it's like finding the middle path, right? Finding mm -hmm. that Wu Wei, finding that, that, you know, in Taoism, it would be called like effortless effort where we can incorporate and include uh, different lenses and we can also, um, you know, continue with some of the practices that are already working really well for us. I think it comes back down to how we perceive the world and how we identify as human beings. Because this right-wrong thinking, this one option or option two, uh, left-right in the States, uh, red or blue, all of that is basically, um, it's basically a consequence of being identified with the mind. Because the thinking mind is a wonderful tool, a brilliant tool, but it's just a tool. It's not our identity, right? Like we don't exist in the mind only. And the mind has a function to um, judge, which then turns into discernment to help us understand what do we need? What do we not need? What do we want? What do we not want? Um, where do we want to go? Do we want to go left or right? Do we want to choose this career or that career? Do we want to choose that partner or this partner? And so this yes or no, black or white, red or green or red or blue um, kind of traffic light logical system that our mind has it consequentially brings us to this place that we're wanting to judge everything as good or bad yeah and unless we're seeing the world through a you know more holistic more wholesome lens where we can perceive both our shortcomings um maybe when we check in with our community our own blind spots you know um, and our community could also be the natural world. So right now the natural world is showing us like, yo, humanity, your blind spot is that you're like destroying and exploiting too much. And as a consequence, uh, your life is actually not as much in balance as you, you, you were, you were pretending. Right. And so I think it comes back to that place of where do we perceive reality from? And are we able to be more than an intellectual mind? Yeah, I, I want to, um, there's so much you you first of all you speak like so so eloquently and um generously about all these things and i, I notice something that i just want to that i'd want to drop in because i think it's a, a very poignant piece that is happening specifically in america where everything goes it's like we specifically have to choose which side right it's a very current american thing you're like on the left or you're right you're up or you're down you're red or you're blue you're good or you're bad you know, you're religious or you hate God. It's like a very, everything is so polarized. And, I, and as we talk about the environment, it's like the Western culture knows or the indigenous, but you can't have like, hey, there's a great things about both. And I think I love how you've talked about it because I know for me, the more I've learned about indigenous cultures, it's kind of the more wonder it's inspired, the more creativity, the more magic. And it doesn't take away all that I've gotten from Western. Mm. And it, it, remind, it makes me look at nature in a different way. And it even makes me think like you've introduced it in this way of looking at fires in a new way. That the way we've done it isn't bad or better or worse. It's just one way. And the way that indigenous cultures have done it is, isn't bad or better or worse. It's just different. And how do we find, how do we merge things together to create new options and options that might serve us? Um, I want to talk with you a little bit about, you know, you, the, this idea of an environmentalist mm -hmm. and how it's, it's, I know for me, it's kind of like, I feel badly if I don't, if I do something that I know is like not, if I, you know, if I buy a plastic water bottle, 
mm-hmm. and I can't recycle it or I don't have my reusable bottle. There's this thought of like, oh, I'm being like, I'm contributing to something bad or, or various other things, right? I do in my, in my life that are not the best thing for my driving my car, right? All sorts of things. Um, and it's in that same thing. Like we're either like hurting the environment or we're somebody who's trying to live out of, you know, I had a, a friend at one point who was trying to only use one jar a year of waste. And when they told me about this, this thing, I was like, your whole life is about, is, is making sure you don't use more than a jar of, you know, of waste. And it was like, that doesn't seem like a way to live either. It seems, so I'm curious, like, what, how do you see environmentalism and what, like, how can we, how can we more partner with the environment in this? Like to be, I mean, you, one of your things is to be plan. I'm thinking like planet positive. Yeah. Like what does that mean? And how does this incorporate it with a new version of environmentalism? Yeah, it's a very interesting question. And I'm, I'm, you know, I'm going to give my best to, to answer it. I, I don't, I do want to stay away from these like really placative kind of, uh, this is the truth. Uh, everybody follow it. Cause I don't think this way. I don't believe this way. Right. Like, um, life isn't black or white. It's life is, you know, like 50 shades of gray with like a lot better penmanship. Um, and, and so <laughs> yeah, to add to the fire piece too, like, you know, indigenous cultures also, they, they operate on the principles of permaculture. So they observe a lot longer and through their observation, they can then tell if it's right to do cultural burning or not. Right. And so we've come away from observing first and we're just like action controlling tackle you know, like pin it to the ground, make it happen kind of culture. And so I think that's what I would bring into the conversation of environmentalism as well. Anybody who's, you know, dedicated themselves to a zero uh, waste lifestyle, I think, you know, metaphorically, I tap my hat for the example. Um, but I don't think it's, it's necessarily the way for everyone. Like we don't need a hundred people to do zero waste perfectly. We need like 8 billion people to do a regenerative, economy cycle and lifestyle permanently right and so for me the planet positive kind of version would be um like honestly it's it's time it's 2020 it's the beginning of a whole decade we know the situation on the planet is pretty fucked if i may swear on this podcast i'm not sure and so this needs to turn into the the most um, groundbreaking decade we we've we've ever been in before meaning like you know, if we look back at the 60s for, for something where people send a man to the moon, then we want to celebrate that we've actually made this the regenerative decade. So as an environmentalist, we now got to think of, and again, like those identifying words, I don't love too much. I, don't, I wouldn't say I'm an environmentalist. Like, I think I've observed the culture I grew up in. I'm observing the infrastructures we've inherited, including the systems. We got to change the systems, man. We got to amend them, adapt them make them smarter so what that means is um you know purpose first economy um some some uh, friends and, and connections of mine they they run something called uh, leaders on purpose they just gotten a whole bunch of uh ceos from really massive companies to sign a petition that declares their purpose first commitment now when we think of purpose first then the purpose is certainly not to destroy and exploit all infrastructure and environment so I think that's a big part is like the, the top-down pressure, right? Well, the top-down action from the bottom-up pressure. So we as people need to create more pressure for the world we want to see. And like, yeah, of course, things like fires, things like a coronavirus pandemic, they take a lot of our attention away to consistently apply this pressure. 
our purchasing power is also very important and we do vote with our dollars, but feeling bad about buying a water bottle in 2018, 19 or 2020, when that's just what's available, isn't really helpful. Like rather buy the water, get hydrated and then take massive action to amend how we do things. So I think we, we know we want to really, and this is the mission of Planet Positive Ventures, where I'm a, a partner in a you know, venture capital think tank, is we want to really support the endeavors that change the way we do business so that business and societal structures can more and more so come back into alignment with nature and the environment. Let me just check in with you. Like, I, I don't know if I went too far off the charts. So or was it like pregnant no, or detailed enough? <laughs> no, no, I, I love, I, I, one of the things that is, is, it's really nice to, you're very intentional with your speaking. You know, you're very, I like that you're, hey, I'm not an environmentalist. I think we do, we've done such a good job of labeling and putting ourselves in boxes. I heard a podcast, this must be like four or five years ago now. I think it was from like Seth Godin and it was all about how humans are obsessed with categorization and organization and how in certain areas of life that's really valuable and important, right? And when we're looking at animals and species and plants and, and medicines and all these things, that's like a very powerful thing because it helps us further our knowledge. When we look at humans, it's, it's often a much more limiting thing because we put ourselves in these organizational boxes that then we find ourselves trapped in. And I like to think of, I do this with clients. I think I like to think of myself as like much more fluid, you know, than I am any one thing or any many things that I am capable of being the whole spectrum at any given time in any situation. So I think, totally. I think you've done actually a really nice job of, of sharing that when it comes to our partnership with the environment. Um, yeah, so I'm there curious. is massive actions before you, before you, you know, yeah. ask another question. There is massive action required. I don't want to downplay that. There's massive action required from all of humanity. But it's, it's like a two-way stream, right? It comes top down, it comes bottom up. It has to do with the way we, we give our attention and all of these things. Because, you know, again, let me reiterate that. Like the way we succumb to labels and all of that it's just one of the functions of our experience which is the brain it's, it's not the whole spectrum of what it means to be a human or you know um, when you i want to not even leave that then what for the average person mm. when you talk about massive action what does that mean yeah that's a great question for you know, and again, another funny label, the average person after we've just like identified that, you know, everyone is yeah. uniquely themselves, but basically, <laughs> I, well, I think, I mean, yeah, no, I, I hear what you're saying. Yeah. Because there are a lot of people that do not have the privilege to think about this because all they care about right now is put food on the table for their family. Mm -hmm. Right. So I, I think for the average person, massive action is turn over your TV. <laughs> stop consuming the same old same old every day and find a way to access and connect to what i would call purpose or what you could call like passion um or what, what you could call um meaning a meaning that fills you with more than just the day-to-day -day. that's one way to take massive action because it will always lead you to a next step right again i'm not a fan of like pretending i have it all figured out because i don't 
but I, I know there are many, many pathways to connect into purpose. And when you're truly connected to purpose or spirit or inner, inner beingness, something changes. And the way you are contributing to the world allows massive momentum to occur. Um, another great way to, you know, uh, take massive action, I think, is get engaged with what you truly care about. So if you truly care about your family, then help more families in your community to be connected. Or if you truly care about being a single mom or single dad and, and helping single moms or single dads, then do exactly that, right? And in my case, if I cared a lot about, you know, who are the, the game-changing uh, systems architects and makers and shakers in this world. So I went out and started interviewing them because, you know, you got to start somewhere. And when we take these massive action steps, Maybe as one person, we can change everything, but we're starting to create a signal and a, like, you know, a, a chain of action that, that connects to, to many other people who take action. Because this is what the TV doesn't tell us, that there are hundreds of thousands, millions of people out there, just like Alex and I in this episode right now, that, you know, spend their entire days, their entire life on obsessed with acting from passion, obsessed with being truly and uniquely themselves, whatever that means, even if that's fluidly always and ever changing. Because not being authentic and just copying what we see in the media, um, maybe that was a byproduct of the media in the 90s and the 2000s, but now halfway through this corona experience and you know the way the world is changing, I don't think it's an option anymore. Like, you know, we, we, we got to really step up into our own journeys. That's what we're here for. Somebody, somebody very, uh, very wise and, and very spiritual shared with me. It must have been beginning of this year, you know, January, December, January. Um, you know, the world is changing, whether you like it or not. And the people that don't want it to change, whether consciously or unconsciously, almost occur like wolves backed against a wall. And they said, what happens if you put a wolf with a back, gets back against a wall? And I said, I mean, I don't know from experience, <laughs> but my guess is it's gonna fight harder than yeah. it's ever fought to survive. It's not gonna lay down, it's not gonna roll over. And you just reminded me of, you know, of that in a sense of there often, whether it be what's gone on in 2020, which it seems like we've everybody in different ways, shapes, or form have been hit with like, it's like, right, it's a joke that everyone's seen with the memes is like, you advance to the next level of Jumanji with every month that goes by in 2020. Um, but there's a part of me that really believes that and really connects with that idea that like, hey, the world is changing, whether we, again, whether we like it or not, for, for good or for bad or for positive or who knows, right? We don't know that, but you can either kind of harmonize with it. You don't necessarily have to agree, but you can kind of make your peace and stop fighting it. Or we end up like, you know, that, that trying to fight against up, upstream or against the current. Um, I'd love to add something to that. Please. You know, I, I love, I love that metaphor. Um, I think Trying to like connect it to, to you know one or two sentences for me it's it's all about you participating in your life. So you hearing this, what's most required from you, or you know Alex to answer your earlier question, uh, the average person, is participation. 
because when we're in the stands, right? For those who've done landmark, maybe they remember that languaging, like the stands or the court, like when you're playing on the field, right? Or when, you, when you're like just watching and you're a spectator. When you're just a spectator in the stands, your power is basically zero. But the moment you start participating and creating more and more of the world you want to see, and if that means you, that you're, you gotta just work at your job because you gotta fill hungry mouths, then that's the starting point, but that's not the finishing point. And I think that participation changes everything. Even if we were to say there are people, systems, um, power players that would like to see a different world or who are controlling parts of the world. Sure, there, there's always been something like this on this planet. However, when more good people participate and simply stand up and do what they believe in, things change. And, and so I think that's, that's really what, what you know, this year, this decade has a huge promise for all of us get out of the spectator's perspective and start participating. And then you'll see what happens is you'll have great experiences and hard experiences. And, you know, Alex, I think you can probably say a lot about that too. Like the hard experiences are what shape you. That's what, what teaches you. That's how you um, understand what resilience means for you. Yeah. But the moment you participate, you're no one else's victim. You're no one else's consequence. You, you're just creating your own building your own dream dream in, in that sense i love the idea too of wherever you're at on your journey participation is different the first thing i thought is man there's so many people that think they're participating by posting on social media oh, yeah. and for a lot of people that's not participating that's just convenience and ease and a way to be trapped in drama and whatnot but there are some people that are terrified to share their voice and their opinion in the world and actually sharing on social media would be participating in a whole new way because they've put themselves very trapped in like not wanting to be authentic. Um, and so it, 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 what you made me think about is that we have to check in with ourselves about, right? Like where I am on my journey, participation looks different than where, you know, five other people are on their journey. And totally. it's, it's actually an individual choice, but you have to be conscious of it. It's not a, it's not something that you can just sleepwalk into. It's an actual choice. Um, and almost a declaration of where you're going to participate from and what your purpose is to go back to what you said before. I'm, I really want to know a little bit more about your podcast, but really like what you've learned because you've your podcast to remind people is called green planet blueprint planet. And you've done over 220 episodes. Um, I don't know if you know this, but like the average podcast doesn't record more than like 10 episodes. Most people quit before they even get totally. to 10. Um, so 220 is, is far beyond, you know, you're, I don't know what I can, I don't have, you know, I don't know the stats, but you're, you're in the upper echelon of podcasts. You were named, you know, a top 20 to grow in 2020 by entrepreneur magazine. I'm really interested in like, what are some of the biggest lessons you've learned from these interviews and from being with these, these experts? Like what are your personal takeaways? Yeah, thanks for asking that question. It's always fun to kind of, you know, reflect on that. For one, I've learned I wouldn't have made it to 200, you know, 20 and counting episodes if it wasn't actually exciting to me. So in every episode, there is a moment when I'm like, you know, almost like a deja vu where you're just like dropping into the gratitude that you're doing this right now. In, 
in every episode in one way or another, I'm experiencing that. So connecting back to my passion and excitement, which in this phase of my life has to do with continuously learning and listening. Um, one of the big pieces I've, I've definitely um, learned that it is a driving force. Excitement and awe and inspiration is a driving force. Um, another piece I've learned, and this is part of the frustration out of which this, this idea was born, is that there are actually so many amazing people out there doing incredibly powerful things. And all of us are in this together. What it, you know, what it takes is more collaboration, more connection, more communication, and daring to change um, and upgrade and actively evolve the world we live in, the systems we live in, right? I mean, you asked me about my personal learning, so I won't, I won't segue into like <laughs> the, the systems and the economy we know. They're all artifacts of the past. They were all created in a way and in a consciousness that have nothing to do with the 2020s and the way we're interconnected through the internet and technology. Mm. And so another piece I've learned personally is it takes effort. Like life takes effort and effort isn't a bad thing. You know, it's like when I said earlier, like we're one with nature. This is not like a naive little, like beautiful vision of me dancing with a deer or a Bambi. <laughs> like, like, no, like nature is fucking ferocious at times. It's understanding the rhythms and the laws of nature or the universe. And not just to exploit one another, but to then actually overcome this desire to make my own ego look good or to make my own ego be like, you know, immaculate but to overcome it to the point where I'm like, am I actually of service to someone else? And so that's one of the main takeaway pieces for me is consistently is like, am I of service to at the very minimum, the people I'm interviewing. And then from there, the audience I'm serving, the connections I'm introducing, right. Um, et cetera. So, so yeah, that's what's going on in my mind a lot. I, there's, I love that you, you know, brought it back to gratitude. I feel the same way. And I often, um, I don't know if this happens to you, I'd, I'd be curious. You know, when I started, they were all exciting. And I was very hard on myself, right, in the beginning of how I sounded and the questions I asked and, and whatnot. And then I got very comfortable and they were still exciting. And I was like very hungry and motivated to get to that goal of 100 episodes. And then somewhere after 100, things became a little more mundane, right? Like anything in life that you do over and over again is going to become mundane unless you generate it otherwise, right? It's not just going to get exciting again, whether it be a marriage or being a parent or your job, it's up to you to create excitement. And what I notice is I often, it takes sometimes till I'm in the middle of an episode with somebody that I'm like, oh, I'm learning such cool things. I'm like hearing perspective I've never heard before. I'm having a conversation I never thought I would even have with somebody who I've never met, who's on another side of the world, who's doing something completely different. And it's such a beautiful reminder of, you know, when we follow our passion, when we follow our purpose, when we follow our commitments, however you, somebody wants to frame that, that sometimes we're still not going to feel like it. Like, I'm sure there's days where you don't feel like being the person you want to be when it comes to your partnership with the planet. And yet you do it anyway. You do, you are your commitment. You are your purpose. You are your passion anyway, even when you don't feel like it. Um, 
resilient. Yeah. Mm. Is, is there anything that you, you know, I just want to kind of give you a moment at the end of this episode to share anything you want to share, talk about anything you haven't been able to talk about um, before we wrap up uh, anything, you know, just put you on a soapbox and let you go. Is there anything nice. that you feel like you want to say or share? Yeah, sure. I, I think what I'm called to share right now, you know, there's, there's a lot of ways people can connect with me, you know, on Instagram, I'm sure you're going to link out my website and, you mm -hmm. know, social media and all of that. Um, as I mentioned during this episode, I'm uh, newly signed on as a partner to this venture capital think tank called planetpositive.ventures. And um, yeah, check it out. Take a look at it. Maybe, maybe request access to our weekly calls, which are going to be episodes on my podcast as well. Because this is one of those spots for anyone who's truly inspired to you know, take that action step of participation. You know, it's one of those spots where some of the game changers in this world every week present their business, their entrepreneur, um, entrepreneur's journey and ask for support, ask for connection, ask for funding. And um, we're, we're one of those places where we're, you know, we don't believe we, we can solve everything through technology or entrepreneurship, but we believe it's a very important pillar in, in the movement of change. That's awesome. I will, I will do that too. I'll post the link for the article, all your information and um, the Planet Positive Ventures. Um, Julian, thanks for, thanks for being here with me. Thanks for, you know, providing value and, and wisdom and insight and a new perspective. I'm really, it's really nice. This is the first podcast I've done where we it talked about the environment really at all to any degree. It may have come up here and there on different podcasts, but really where we focused around not just the environment of the planet, but our relationship to it. And it's, it actually makes me think about it's a conversation I want to have more that I mm. don't have enough. But when I have it, it's, I can't speak for everybody listening, but for me, when I get connected with the environment, something changes within me. When I walk outside and put my feet in the sand on the beach, when I stand in the middle of the forest and look at the trees, you know, when I'm in the ocean or on the ocean, these places that I am just a being with the the natural settings like i don't feel like that in the city or in my house i know there's people that feel alive when they go into like new york city for me i know that i often feel the most alive when i'm in versions of nature mm -hmm. um and talking with you is a reminder about that partnership and that uh, you know all those those shades of gray that it's not one or the other. So thanks for coming on here and, and just sharing your experience and your wisdom and, and keep doing what you're doing. And uh, thanks for making the difference. Yeah, thank you so much, Alex. This was fun. Everybody that is listening, thank you. Um, appreciate you. And uh, we will, I hope you got value from this. I hope this opened your eyes to something new, different, um, or maybe just has you, you know, venture online to start looking at either how you can participate or just learn more. Thanks for listening to this. And please, before you know, you do anything, go check out Julian's podcast, green planet, blue planet, and all the other links to find Julian will be in the show notes and uh, we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening. Honestly, I'm just a rebel who found a cause and has a dream and I'm super grateful for your support. If you got anything from this, please help me out and share this podcast with one person today.
You can find me at thedreammason.com or at inspirationalalex on Instagram. You are a dream mason because your dreams don't build themselves.